Okay, so uh, welcome everybody. It's good to see uh, everybody uh, joining us tonight. We uh, appreciate it uh, very much. Um, tonight's class is sponsored by Janice and Arnie Levitan to commemorate the yurtzeit of Arnie's mother, Ilana Bas Yechiel Tzadok. The yurtzeit is tonight, last night. When is it, Arnie? It finished today. It was on Rosh Chodesh. Finished today. So on, on Rosh Chodesh. So Neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so we begin to uh, tonight with the first principle. So we got through our uh, our introduction. So we have the first principle to go through. Where is it? Um, it should be somewhere there. Um, pull up. Oh, maybe I didn't even pull it up. I apologize. Um, first principle. Okay, so. Um, uh, we'll read it in English, just because I think that will uh, be a little bit easier for us. Okay, so the first principle is belief in the existence of the Creator, be He blessed. So the translation is, this means that it is incumbent upon us to believe that there is a being who is perfect in any in every manner of existence. He is the primary cause of existence of all that exists. Upon him is a perpetuation of their existence contingent, meaning that everything exists only because God wants it to be that way. And through him they are they sustained. Nor shall one entertain the thought of the absence of his existence, for in that event all existence would be nullified and cannot possibly exist. Nor would it be possible for any being to have any semblance of existence. So as we're going to talk about, all of us, are, are the very essence, the very existence of who we are, depends on, is there a screen share? Yes, but it's not showing what you're saying. How about now? Now it should be. Yeah, that's better. Okay, sorry. Let me know that next time. Um, and though, and we're on the second paragraph now, uh, and though we should, and though should we entertain the thought of all existence other than his own being null and void, the existence of the creator, blessed be he, would not be nullified, nor would it be diminished. So it's just a complicated way of saying, and this is uh, not, uh, I think, in English that we would read normally uh, nowadays, but it means that Hashem's existence is independent of everything else. He could exist without all of us, but none of us could exist without his existence and without his constant input into our ongoing existence. Unity and mastery are his alone, blessed be his name, for he is self-sufficient in his existence and he suffices unto himself. Nor is his existence contingent in any way upon any other being and all else that exists, such as the purely intellectual beings, that is the angels and the heavenly constellations and all that they contain, as well as all that exists below them, are all dependent for their existence upon him. This is the first principle, which is expressed in the commandment, I am the Lord thy God, that's the Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Okay, so that is uh, the translation, that is a translation of the Rambam's uh, first principle. And uh, where we are going to begin is the part of the, uh, the Rambam statement that Hashem's existence is that Hashem is complete and perfect in every way. So we have to explore what exactly does that mean. This is the part that we uh, we talked about that the uh, the first uh, class, the first part of the introduction, where we're going to try and get to know who God is and the way by which we define Him, so that we know who we are trying to connect with. What exactly is this being that we are trying to to connect with? 
So what exactly does it mean when we say that God in, is, uh, is perfect in every way? So to explain this, so we are going to go ahead and we are going to uh, go back to one of those, uh, those classic philosophical questions. Uh, and that is, which I'm sure everybody has thought about, has, has, uh, has discussed. I don't know whether you'll have an answer. You'll certainly let me know. But the question is, can God create a rock that he cannot lift? That is the, uh, the, uh, the philosophical conundrum that we are going to begin with. And the reason why this poses such a conundrum is because seemingly no matter which way you slice it, uh, you're go- it's going to emerge that there's something that God cannot do. So if you say on the one hand, if you say God can create a rock that he cannot lift, so that means that there's something that in some way he's not strong enough. And there's something which is too heavy even for God that will represent a deficiency in God's power, in his uh, omnipotence. On the other hand, if you say there's no such thing that God cannot create a rock that he cannot exist because he's so strong and powerful that he can lift up anything. So that means that you've now limited his creative abilities and there's something that he cannot create. So one side of it is there's something he cannot lift. The other side of it is there's something that he cannot create. Either way, you come up with this deficiency in God, this lack of perfection of, of God. And that is the basis of, the, uh, of this, uh, this conundrum. Yes? Excellent. Okay. So now, uh, the right. answer to this question, when we uh, go ahead and provide an answer, so this is going to help fine-tune what we mean when we say that God is perfect in, in every way. What that means essentially is, is that God is in possession of all traits which are positive. And by definition, God's perfection means that he cannot contain anything which would constitute a flaw. So for example, if I were to uh, alter the question a little bit, and I were to ask uh, all of you, does God have the capacity to make a mistake? So once again, your thinking is, well, if, you, if we say that God cannot make a mistake, so that means that there's something about his perfection, there's a limitation on what his abilities are, in that he cannot make a mistake. But the truth is, is that we're not saying that you, he can do everything. It means all positive traits, uh, he is in possession of all positive traits. And if you're going to get a, 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 if you're going to get a perfect 10 in your gymnastics routine, that means by definition, there's no flaw. So if we say that God is perfect, part of the definition of perfection is the, is the absence of any sort of flaw. So God cannot make a mistake because making a mistake means that he's not perfect. Somebody who makes a mistake is not perfect. And therefore, I think my wife tells me that once in a while. So, that way, so that's something that, uh, that if we go ahead and we assign God the status of perfection, what that means is by definition, he cannot make a mistake. Because making a mistake is a negative trait, is a negative element. It's, it, it's, it's demonstrative of a lack of perfection. So when we say God is perfect, doesn't mean that he could do everything. It means everything which is positive is, is true about him, but not that he could do everything which is negative. So going back to our question, can God create a rock he cannot lift? A rock that you cannot lift is indicative of some sort of limitation. 
imperfection means that he doesn't have that uh, that that uh, that limitation. God cannot possess negative traits, which would be a limitation. So he, in fact, he cannot create a rock that he cannot lift, because when we say that he's omnipotent, that means that he can he's uh, he's all powerful in a positive sense. So that is um, so that is Problem. the way we understand. Yeah. Problem. Yes. Vayinochem Hashem ki osa ki osa es ha'odom ba'aretz vayisat seiv al. You you went you went off of the uh, the uh, the unmute for a second, but yeah. So what 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 does that mean? I could unmute you. Oh, you're muted. You're muted, Al. Vayinochem Hashem ki osa. Right. From uh, the end of Barashas, just before Noah. Excellent. So you're saying that God, God's regret is, is what? What, 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 is, uh, what is God saying? If you speak out the question fully. Uh, I made a mistake. God, said, God, right? God seemingly says I made a mistake. He says, oops, I think uh, we got to go uh, mankind 2.0. Or something along those uh, those lines. We'll get to 3.0 a little bit uh, in the next part afterwards. But yes, so uh, the answer to that, and this is something which I think we're going to get to more in the the eighth principle. Um, but that has to do with um, the fact that the Torah presents things in anthropomorphic. Don't ask me to spell it, but anthropomorphic uh, terminology and perspective. So we into so uh, one of the things which um, God has to do, and I haven't read the I haven't read the essay in a long time, but it's a worthwhile essay. One of uh, Rabbi Arya Kaplan's uh, outstanding essays is "If You Were God," where you try and where he he frames the question in terms of if you had certain parameters in terms of how you're going to run a world and how much you're going to be able to interact directly with them and how much you have to interact behind the scenes and how exactly would you do so. Uh, while still being able to forge what hopefully is a meaningful relationship. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to uh, address us and he has to uh, uh, communicate with us in terminology that we can understand. So we understand the concept of regret. And we understand the concept of recognizing that we went ahead and we made a mistake and taking ownership in a sense of, of taking that, uh, that mistake. And that is a very human type of, uh, of trait. And therefore, since God wants ultimately for us to be able to connect with him, he has to go ahead and use such a terminology. Now, what exactly it means from God's perspective. So as we may or may not uh, get to tonight, these are things which uh, are often beyond our comprehension because they require us to think about things from perspectives which are essentially impossible for us to be able to associate with. So being that God doesn't want us to associate with something which is, uh, makes it impossible to have a relationship with, so he's going to use uh, terminology as if he gets angry, as if he gets uh, upset, as if he is short-tempered, as if he's jealous, all these traits which we normally associate as negative traits, as traits which are, are not positive traits, those are there in order for us to be able to, um, uh, to, be able to connect with him ultimately. So yes, those are, uh, there, there, there will be those types of, of, of expressions which are found. 
um, and uh, you know we have to uh, we have to manage them in our overall uh, in our overall system. But yes, that's a, that's an excellent point. Thank you. Okay, so now, Thank you. Uh, so this is uh, so this is point number one. So we talk about God's perfection. What that means essentially is is that God possesses all positive traits. And by definition, he doesn't possess any negative traits, anything which would be indicative of a flaw or a weakness or something like that. So that is the definition of, a, of, a, of perfection. Now, the, uh, the next point uh, that, that the Rambam makes is also a very important point as far as understanding how mankind works, how our, relation, our overall relationship between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it's something also which, which is a little bit... Uh, which is a little bit uh, difficult from the perspective that we uh, that we uh, take with us as we go about our day-to-day living. And that is, the Rambam says that all existence depends and is derived from Hashem. So all of us here uh, who, are, uh, who are able to sit and listen and participate and join in, in a shir, so that's only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wills that to be true. He wants that to be true, and he puts all of the potential necessary for all of this to, uh, to take place. And uh, yet, if we didn't exist, it's hard to imagine a world without our existence, but if we did not exist, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu would still exist, so his existence doesn't depend upon us at all, but if there was such a, there was such a, 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 a potential where he would not exist, so then everything would be offline. Nothing would be able to exist without a Kodesh Baruch Hu's, uh, I- existence. Now, we believe, again, just because of, uh, of our perspective, that we believe that our existence is because our heartbeat and our uh, beats and our brain functions, and we have the, uh, all of the, uh, the science is what allows us to be able to, uh, to exist. And we see things in that very scientific perspective that we don't think about where all of the energy which we have comes from, because we assume that if you eat the right foods and you get the right nutrients in the body, so then the body is going to be able to break it down. It makes that into calories or makes that into energy. And then the energy is what allows us to be, uh, to be able to make it through the day. When we run out of energy, we fall asleep at the end of the night. Hopefully we sleep during, uh, during the night. And that uh, we see ourselves from this very scientific perspective as if we have the ability to maintain our existence, to maintain our life and to maintain our existence. But the truth is, the Rambam is telling us, is, is reminding us, is that's not true. That even with all of our efforts and all the things which we do in order to, uh, to exist, ultimately, everything is going to uh, uh, come down to whether Hashem wills that to be true, wills our existence to, uh, to continue or, or, or not. Because the Rambam is telling us that Hashem isn't just the Borei Olam. He's not just somebody who, or the, the being which created the world and everything that exists, but he is the one who goes ahead and continues to infuse the, uh, the, the energy and infuse life into our existence. The simplest muscle, the simplest way to explain that is everybody here is sitting on a, uh, some sort of computer. What exactly, uh, you know, whether it's a phone or a laptop or, uh, or uh, um, uh, some other d- device. So that, uh, that each one has it, but everybody's on some, on some sort of device. Now the device as it's manufactured, so it is, remains an inanimate object. 
incapable of doing anything. The only way any of our devices are going to work is there has to be some sort of uh, electrical supply, energy supply. So whether you're plugged in or whether there's a battery or whether there's something, none of those things is sophisticated and complex and amazing as these things are, they're completely useless. Certainly if you're plugged into the wall, they're certainly useless if there's a blackout. If you don't have electricity flowing through your, uh, your, uh, your wires, then none of that stuff and none of that complexity is worth a darn if you can't get yourself uh, you know, uh, 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 an electrical supply. If your phone is dying, and uh, you have no charger with you or you have no way to be able to connect, you know, that's, uh, for most people, that's the biggest panic that they go through over the course of their, uh, their day or week or month is for their phone to go ahead and die on them without having a, a place to be able to, uh, to recharge. So this is uh, essentially what, uh, what the, the, the way the world exists, that the energy supply, the ultimate energy supply, which infuses life in existence to everything, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. He wants it to be this way. He wants a continued existence. And therefore, there's this consistent, what seems like a consistent flow of energy, which is coming into the world, but it's only because he wants it to, to, to be that way. Reb Chaim Velazhin, the famous student of the, uh, the Gra, the one who started the, uh, who's considered to be the father of the yeshiva movement, and wrote a very uh, famous work called the Nefesh HaChaim, very philosophical, uh, uh, Kabbalistic work, called Nefesh HaChaim. So he says that he's of the opinion that if, if, if God were to go ahead and pull the plug, as it were, for a moment, so all of the universe would revert back to Tohu Vavohu, as Al uh, quoted for us before from the, begin the end of uh, Parshas Bracious. So at the beginning of Parshas Bracious, so when you have matter there, and it's not yet formed, and it's not yet energized into what we call life, so you have just tovavo, you just have chaos, and you just have a bunch of molecules which are just floating around uh, in, uh, in, in nothingness, as it were, it's even less than that, but uh, it's a, a bunch of molecules floating around without forming anything of any substance that you could go ahead and that would be tangible that you'd be able to go down to, that would be measurable in, in, in any sort of way. And this is something which he emphasizes is, is essential for us to, uh, to be mindful of. And the truth is, is that this is something which we review on a regular basis, we say on a daily basis in davening. And this is in Birchos Kriyashma. So we have this phrase, HaMechadesh Betuvo B'chol Yom Tamid Maseh Breshis. So Mechadesh Betuvo means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu renews Betuvo in his goodness, B'chol Yom Tamid, every day on a constant basis, Maise Breshis. So it's important to be mindful of that phrase at the end of the, uh, the first bracha of Kriyashma by Yotzer, uh, by Yotzer Maoros. What's important to realize is, is Baruch, it doesn't say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Borei Betuvo B'chol Yom Tamid Reshis, that he's creating on a constant basis. Creation was something which only took place the first six days of creation. That's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the Yesh Meyayin, where he created something from, uh, from nothing. That was something which was reserved for that initial time when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the, in, the, in the first six days. Since then, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's task is, what he does during the, uh, since then, is he's Mechadish, he renews it. Renews it in the sense that he keeps the energy, he keeps electricity flowing. And as a result of the constant flow of electricity, so that's why the world seemingly takes place in this uh, seamless uh, manner, but ultimately it's just, a, it's just an illusion. Uh, 
And this is what we say also, that Kosh is the Yotzer or Vare Choshech. Kosh is the one who is creating, who creates light, who forms light, and creates darkness. Now, even though we use the word Bore over there, what's more important for us, that's at the beginning of that first brach of Kriyashma, is that the words, the verbs, Yotzer and Bore, are in the Hove. They're in the present tense. It doesn't say Yotzer or that he created in past tense, going back to the first six days of creation, it's emphasized that it's taking place in the present tense because on a constant basis, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, create, is forming light and creating darkness. And this is something that we have to be, uh, uh, to be, uh, to be mindful of uh, as we look at the, at the world. The best muscle for this, again, uh, for those of us who are uh, uh, attending this year uh, now, so we are old enough to be able to understand this, uh, when you repeat this over to some of your children or perhaps some of your grandchildren, so they'll have no idea what you're talking about whatsoever. Uh, so it's important to, uh, to keep uh, some sort of uh, um, uh, old movie reel on hand in, or so in order to be able to show that to them. But in the good old fashioned movie reel, so you know, you're sitting in the theater, you're watching the movie as the projector is going, and everything on the screen looks like it's happening in real time. It's looking like it's happening in real time, and it looks like it's a seamless sequence of events. But we know through splicing and through all sorts of uh, different ways that in reality, what looks like on the screen as if things are happening in real time, really what's happening is it's a frame after frame after frame after frame. And the brain ignores the breaks in it. They, 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 the pictures come so quickly that the brain doesn't process that these are actually separate pictures which are, tap, are happening uh, before you. Uh, kids will have no idea what exactly how cartoons used to be made. Uh, they think everything is just on, a, on an iPad or something, on a screen on an iPad, and you just play around with that uh, thing, and that's how uh, animation is done. And they don't know that they're actually people who sat there and drew frame by frame by frame by frame all of those things in order to be able to create that, uh, that cartoon. But that muscle of realizing that uh, what seems like this seamless uh, sequence of events in the passage of time is in reality small little increments which are just shown very quickly one after the other. And all of existence has that same, uh, that same quality to it, that will look to us, to us as if I existed yesterday and I exist today and I'll exist tomorrow. And you could break that down by hour, by minute, by second, by microsecond, all those things which seem to be that it's this constant flow. In reality, it's a conscious decision in every frame on God's part. And it's only been, we only have that impression because the Baruch Hu wants us to walk away with that impression, but he can at any time go ahead and theoretically, he can at any time pull the plug. And if he goes ahead and pulls the plug, so that is going to be, uh, that would, uh, the, the word world reverts back to that state of tohu vavohu. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen that one of the things which uh, they, 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 uh, they've invoked very often the past six, seven months, is Chazal's statement that it's the the hevel pihen shall tinoko shall base rabban, that it's the speech, the the breath coming out of the children studying Torah, which infuses life into the world, that that gives energy into the world. So that's a similar type of concept that Akash Baruch Hu is so satisfied and so excited and so uh, so. Uh, um, so motivated by the children who are studying Torah, the children who daven and the children who study Torah, that that's what 
um, inspires God, as it were, Kiviachol, to go ahead and continue to infuse energy into this world because of their Torah study. And that's why their Torah study is considered to be such an ascent, it's an essential activity, as the governor's now uh, clamping down again, but it's considered to be an essential activity as far as Yiddishkeit is concerned. And whether they're in school or out of school, but there has to be that constant study of Torah on the part of the children because their pure souls are going to be able to provide the world with much more spiritual energy than those of us who are a little older and our souls aren't as pure and pristine as they were when we were young ones. And therefore, this is something that we have to be, uh, we have to be, mindful, uh, we have to be mindful of. Now, um, um, so the question is, why is this so? So now we're going to get a little bit uh, more philosophical over here. There wasn't enough philosophy for you until now. We're going to get a little bit more philosophical. And that is, the, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that the world needs this constant energy, this constant flow of energy into it? Um, what I have in my notes, the question I have in my notes is that if I take a clump of clay and I shape it into a vase, so that, that clay will retain its shape. There's no reason to think that over the passage of time that that clay is going to suddenly just collapse on itself. It's not like glass, which ultimately scientifically is a liquid and it will, uh, over the passage of time, it will, uh, it will, uh, it will uh, go down. A clump of clay should be able to pretty much keep its shape. If nothing, uh, no other force exerts itself on that clay, it should be able to remain in the shape of a vase. So if HaKadosh Baruch Hu came along in the first six days of creation and created everything and gave it shape and put it in place, so certainly HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation should have this staying power of a clay vase. And why, why, why do we assume, why do we have this notion that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu were to pull the plug on us, that that would cause the world to revert back to uh, Tov to Vavo? Why, uh, why is that so? So to uh, understand this, to answer this question, so what we need to do is we need to think about uh, the process that Kosh Baruch Hu went through in order to create in the first place. So again, we're going to think that Hakash uh, Baruch Hu is sitting in his, uh, his uh, work study or his workshop, and he says, you know what? Again, assuming the, the passage of time and all that, but Kosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? Uh, looking for something to do, and uh, maybe I'll go ahead and I'll create a universe. So he makes the executive decision. There's nobody to say nay at that point. So he makes the executive decision. He's going to go ahead and he's going to create a universe. So what's the process by, uh, by which HaGadosh Baruch Hu goes through to create a universe? Lowe's didn't exist at that point. Home, Home Depot didn't exist at, the, at that point. You couldn't go ahead and buy, you know, electrical supplies and plumbing supplies and uh, building supplies and, uh, you know, landscaping supplies. None of that existed at that point. So what's the process that Hashem goes through in order to go yesh meyayin, which is, again, one of the future principles we're going to get to. But what's the process that Hashem goes through in order to create something from nothing. How does substance come into existence uh, out of God? So the process uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went through, the way the, uh, the uh, Chazal teach us, and this is something which is very much rooted in, in a, a Kabbalistic type of approach, but the, uh, the process which HaKadosh Baruch Hu went through is a, the process of concealment, concealing his presence. 
In other words, that God's uh, presence in its purest form is so, we're going to borrow this terminology, but it's so intensely spiritual that physical existence cannot exist. Physical things cannot exist in direct contact with the potency of Akash Baruch Hu's spirituality. Those two things, they conflict with one another. It's trying to mix uh, you know, water and oil. Ultimately, they can't coexist at the, at, at the same time, and something is going to have to uh, prevail. So in order for Akash Baruch Hu to be able to create physical existence, not even existence, physical substance, in order for there to be that first, whatever that micro molecule is going to be, that micro atom, whatever quark or quirk or whatever that smallest uh, substance is, in order for that to happen, Akash Baruch Hu has to conceal himself. We can think of it as the mashal that the Kabbalists give to understand this idea is uh, the, uh, the power of the sun. So the sun is a very is an incredibly powerful energy source, and we know that the closer you get to that energy source, the less likely that something physical is going to be able to exist, because the sun is such a powerful energy that if you get too close to the sun, so you get essentially vaporized. It just gets uh, vaporized out of existence, and nothing would be able to exist. The only reason that there is there is a life on this planet is because we're at that perfect sweet spot we think scientifically in terms of proximity to the sun where we could take beneficial energy which is coming off of the uh, off of the sun and but it's, so it's beneficial that we have heat and we have warmth and we have all of the good things of it so we're not too close that we get burned up we're not too far away that it's not it's not going to be able to sustain life we're in this perfect sweet spot from the the sun in order to be able to do so but the closer you get so the more potent, the, the, not the more potent, the more the energy is going to be able to exert itself on physical things, and the more things are going to, uh, the less physicality is going to be able to, uh, to exist. Um, so therefore, the, so the same thing is going to be true as far as God's existence and physical substance is concerned. That if things get too close, the more closer to God that you get, if we're able to assign distance to God's existence, but the closer to God that you get, the more potent and uh, concentrated that spirituality is, and therefore the less room, again, using space, using uh, human terminology, going back to what we talked about, Al, the, 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 more the less room there is for physical existence, the further you go from God, so the more potential there is for physical existence, because God's presence is less tangible uh, the, further the, the, the further that you get away. And this is why the Kabbalists tell us, the Mekubalim tell us, that the word olam, which is the word that we use for the universe, for the, for the world, so the shorish of that, those who have been coming mincha, uh, between Mincha Mar of Shabbos afternoon, so we're exploring uh, words and uh, pronunciations and things of that uh, sort. So the word olam, so the shorish is going to be the letters ayin lamed mem, which happens to be the same word that we use for he'elam, which is concealment, something which is hidden away. So the word olam, the same shorish that we use for the universe is related uh, uh, in Lashon Kodesh to the wor word concealment because the only way that the world is able to exist, the only way that the olam is able to come into existence is by virtue of the fact that this, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is nalam, he goes hidden on us or he goes ahead and conceals himself away. 
So we have this long distance between where God is and where uh, in the uh, the physical universe. And that is what allows the world to come into existence in the in the first place. Now, this doesn't mean that God is not everywhere. Right? It doesn't mean that Uncle Moshe is wrong when he said Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. So this is one of these uh, great things about God's existence is that he's able to be uh, everywhere and he's able to be nowhere at the same time. On the one hand, we say, where is God's existence? Where does his honor, where does, it, uh, where does he reside? And then we were able to say that on the other hand, that the entire earth, the entire universe is, is his place. So he's able to be there. He's able to be everywhere and, not, and yet not be there at the, at, at the same time. And this is why the Medrash tells us that the, this is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one of the nicknames that we have for HaKadosh Baruch Hu is he's referred to as the Mako, as in the phrase, HaMakom Yenachem Eschem Besoch Sha'avei what we wish to a mourner. So we say, uh, I think the uh, English often translates it as the omnipresent. But what it really means is, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the background. He is the canvas. And he is uh, where everything is going to be able to, uh, to exist. Or we say on a regular basis, Hamakim Yerachim Aleim, that Baruch Hu should be compassionate to, towards uh, them. So just like a place, the literal meaning of the word Makom is a place. So it's going to be able to hold the object, uh, an object in it. So the table is holding the computer, the house is holding the room, the village is holding the house, all of that stuff is a place where things are, are, are going to exist. So too, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Makom, he is the place where the universe is going to be able to exist. And he does this, uh, and this is that existence which is dependent upon him that the, that the Rambam talked about, that in order for the uh, universe to be able to exist, so that is something which is going to have to uh, which uh, uh, has to withdraw himself to become the foundation of it upon which everything else rests. Many, how, many homes, you don't actually see the foundation. Foundation is below the ground. It's something which you shouldn't necessarily see, but we know that the entire structure is something which rests on that the foundation, even in the event that the foundation is, is hidden from, uh, from sight. Um, Um, right. Um, so now, if we, uh, if uh, so, this process, uh, where did I put that? Um, this process, which Akash Baruch Hu uses uh, with which to create the world. So you may have, you may be familiar, or may have come across the Kabbalistic term called Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is a term uh, which uh, which describes um, contraction. I think is a good way to go ahead and uh, and translate the word. In other words, from God in his purest sense, where he, where he is, the place where he is, if we could assign him again, that uh, status of place, to the physical world. So when we talk about that there are thousands of worlds of existence, or like the Gemara and Chagiga, which talks about different layers of heavens, all the way closest to the Kisei HaKavor, all the way down to one, the part which is closest to earth. So those seven levels which are described, so the close, the higher up, 
that you go in a sense. So that gets you closer to the pure existence, the pure spiritual existence of God. The further that you go from God and the closer that you get to earth, which is the ultimate physical existence where God is completely uh, concealed. So that is going to be the, where you have the most amount of physicality, physical existence, and there is the least detectable amount of spiritual existence. And as we know, Malachim, for example, are somewhere in between. So Malach is a spiritual being, a spiritual force, like constellations have certain elements of spiritual forces to them. But at the same time, Malachim have this ability, at least at times, to go ahead and take on physical form. So that's why three angels could visit Avram Avinu, and they could look to Avram Avinu as if, as if they are three Arabs who are just passing through uh, the desert, looking for a place to be able to uh, to get a free meal and perhaps to uh, to relax their uh, their weary feet and to get something for their camels or something like that. So angels, which are much more spiritual, but they still have that potential to go ahead and take on certain physical characteristics. Eliyahu uh, Hanavi in his current existence. So also he was, certainly was a person during his lifetime, he was a person, but now he has some sort of physical, he has a, 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 a spiritual component to him, a very strong spiritual side, but we still see him as being present at a brismila. We see him being present at the, uh, the Pesach Seder coming in and being able to, uh, to, you know, to, to join together with us at, the, at that time. Um, so now, what this means is, is that the natural state of things should really be God's existence and nothing else. Because the, the, the uh, God's nature is, is that he is this potent spiritual being. And the only reason why the physical uh, universe uh, exists is only because God withdraws. So in a sense, God is actively withdrawing himself. That's a process of tzimtzum to allow the physical, uh, the physical to exist. But without that active part, on, uh, act, uh, the active effort on God's part to go ahead and to continue to infuse energy or to go ahead and keep himself withdrawn so that physical existence could, uh, could occur. So then everything is going to revert back to its natural state. The muscle for this, the parable uh, that, uh, that uh, they talk about for this is if I take a rock and I throw it into the air. So how, how high into the air is that rock gonna go? Only as far as the amount of energy I put behind it. So the amount of energy I put behind it, so that is going to be able to fight gravity. And if I, fight, if I have enough energy, so if the energy is stronger than the gravitational pull, so then the rock is going to go up. But since it meets resistance along the way, so it loses that energy. When that energy maxes out, when you run out of that energy, it stops going up. And then it goes that, and then it goes back to its natural state, which is that state of rest. It's going to go ahead and fall. Watch your head on the, uh, as the rock goes that and falls on its, uh, uh, on its way down. So the reason why the rock doesn't go up forever is because I didn't put enough energy in, in there to, to do so. And I'm fighting this uh, opposing force. And uh, the opposing force, as we said, is a gravitational pull, which is going to pull it, uh, which is going to pull it down. So, um, right. So now, uh, so, uh, so uh, all those things where there's an opposing force so depending on what your and what your your uh, the 
uh, amount of energy which you use to oppose that force, that eventually is going to wear out and it would go back to its, its natural state. So when you have a, 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 a clump of clay, which you go ahead and you fashion into the shape of a vase. So once it's in the shape of a vase, you don't really have an opposing force which is trying to push it, take away its status, its, its shape. So it's going to be able to retain that forever because there's no opposing force. But anytime that there are two opposing forces, so eventually something is going to have to, uh, to win out. And if you want to go ahead and do so, if you want to keep streaming, uh, swimming upstream, you need to have a lot of energy in order to be able to do so because the natural state is going to be to take you down. One of the mashalim that we will uh, talk about uh, uh, over the course of these principles is very often it's a, it's a helpful muscle to think of life as a, uh, a down escalator. So the only way to go up a down escalator is you have to move faster upwards and the escalator is going to go down. And as soon as you get tired and you stop going up, so the escalator through its own energy is just going to take you down. There's, a, there's, no, uh, there's no way to uh, uh, oppose that unless you have more energy, which is, uh, which, is pushing you, which is pushing you up. That's why it's always exciting for kids to be able to see if they have the energy that they need in order to be able to get to the top. Or the way they make slides nowadays, a slide across the street by us. So it's not actually that metal piece, uh, a metal piece, which you slide down and gets really hot in the, in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the summertime and unusable during the summertime. Now it's a series of, uh, of rollers. And you sit on it and it rolls, you roll down because the spinners go ahead and take you down. So the kids love seeing if they get, there's a certain age where they love to see if they can actually run up the, uh, the slide with the rollers going against you. So it's a great victory for them to be able to do that, to have the energy and the quickness to be able to, uh, to, be able to, uh, to oppose that. So being that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to actively uh, um, uh, conceal himself and withdraw himself and contract himself in order for the physical world to exist. So that means that as soon as that, if you were to pull the plug on that energy, as it were, what happens is, is everything reverts back to its natural state. And everything reverting back to its natural state is that state of tohu vavohu. That's the state of nothingness in void. And that's where we would go back to in the event that, uh, that, uh, that uh, HaKash Baruch Hu wasn't uh, continuing to go ahead and, and create. And that is why, going back to the phrase which we use, hopefully tomorrow uh, when you daven, so you'll take note of that particular line, as we said, at the end of Birchos Kriyashma, we say that, use that term, HaMechadish B'Tuvo B'Choyom Tomid Ma'asev Reishis. The Gersh Baruch was constantly renewing the world, B'Choyom, every day, Tomid. And at every moment throughout the day, there is that constant input from HaKadosh Baruch Hu of the energy uh, on the one hand, which he's infusing into it, the electricity which, uh, which he's infusing, which results from almost that diametrically uh, opposite uh, um, force, which is his concealment. The fact that he needs to conceal that uh, his, his, his presence in order for physical things to exist. And that is the meaning that all of which we, uh, all of this, uh, this part of what we discussed tonight is captured in that phrase, that that's the nature of God as number one, the initial creator, and then the sustainer of all of life and all of existence. And that is in that, uh, that, that, that phrase. So I think that that's as far as where we will, uh, we will go uh, in the principle uh, tonight. Uh, any questions, clarifications, comments, things of uh, that sort, I'll be more than happy to, uh, to entertain.
Otherwise, you want to go ahead and conceal yourself or uh, <laughs> allow everything to uh, to uh, to renew itself within your brain and to sort of uh, swirl around uh, to uh, to take shape and to take form. Hopefully, remaining uh, remaining in that place uh, uh, long term. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay, those, those people who did not, uh, if you did not yet uh, sign up, those who did sign up for the Tehillim, so I appreciate uh, those.